going to Matthew chapter 2 this morning, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, we've been in this series this Christmas called Questioning Christmas, where we are looking at the different questions that were asked throughout the Christmas story by different people, and more importantly, why they asked those questions, and how we still ask those same questions today a lot of times, and what we can learn from their experience uh, here in the Christmas story. And so uh, today, uh, we want to go to the question of worship um, from the Magi. So um, the Magi are one of those kind of interesting characters that shows up in the Christmas story that I think sometimes um, are more, we, they, the, what we think about them is sometimes more myth than it is fact. And so I just thought we'd start this morning with a little um, Christmas Magi pop quiz uh, for you. Just kind of see where you're at with your Magi knowledge. Now some of you are like, I didn't come to school today, Mike, I came to church. Um, but that's okay, I'm not going to grade you, this is all just for self-evaluation, uh, okay, so don't worry about anything like that. Um, so I'm going to take you through a few questions, and you kind of write the answers there on the, on the corner of your paper somewhere, and see how you do here, all right? Number one, who visited Jesus in the stable? Was it A, the shepherds, B, the shepherds and magi, C, the shepherds, magi, and the little drummer boy, or D, the shepherd, magi, Zechariah and Elizabeth? Who visited Jesus in the stable? Just, no, nothing out loud, no cheating, all right, no cheating out there. Just don't look on your neighbor's paper. Right, just write your little answer there in the corner, and uh, we'll keep going. All right, number two. How many magi visited Jesus? Was it A, two? Was it B, three? Was it C, 12? Or was it D, I don't know. It's okay. You can be honest this morning. Just, just come, whatever your answer is, write there down. Number two. How many magi visited Jesus? Number three. Who were the magi? Were they A, kings? Were they B, astronomers? Were they C, con men? Or were they D, magicians? Who were the magi, A, B, C, or D? Write that down there on the corner of your paper as well. Number four, some of you I don't see writing. This is not participation optional. You're supposed to be doing this right now, okay? Some of you are like, I don't have to do this. You're not my teacher. Number four, where did the magi come from? Number four, where did the magi come from? Was it the region of Egypt and Africa, A? Was it B, Babylonia and Arabia? Was it C, the region of China, India? Or was it D, Jerusalem? Where did the Magi come from? And then lastly, number five, last question. How did the Magi find Jesus? Was it A, a star? Was it B, Herod the Great? Was it C, Israelite scripture? Or D, all of the above? A, B, C, or D, how did the Magi find Jesus? Now, here's the catch. I'm not going to give you the answers. As I walk through the sermon, you gotta, you got to figure them out. Okay, they're going to be in there, but you got to be listening and self-grade as we go. Okay? And at the end, you can see how you did with your Magi knowledge. But more importantly than what you know about them, what I really want you to see today as we walk through this question, these mysterious men, was their, was their question. Where is the king of the Jews. That's what they asked. Where is the king? They were searching. They were looking for someone. Because all of us have to answer that question at some point in our lives. All of us have to come to face with the question of who and where is the king? And how are we going to respond to him? So we're going to look at that today. And here's kind of the main idea I put over the message this morning, okay? I'll never find true joy in being the 
king, only in worshiping the king. If I want joy in my life, I will only find true joy not in being the king, but only in worshiping the king. And we're going to learn that today from our friends, the Magi. So I'm going to start by just walking through the story and pointing out several things as we go. And at the end, I'll circle back and ask some more questions to help us digest what we've just learned here from the story. All right, number, start in verse 1 with me, chapter 2, Matthew, verse 1. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So let's pause there. So Matthew's setting up the story, right? He's getting us into the moment, and he says that it was after Jesus was born. So the setting for this part was sometime after the birth of Jesus. That's the historical timeline. It says these guys show up, and he calls them wise men here. Now, the original Greek word there for these guys is magi. Okay, that's the way we would translate today, would be magi. Lots of different translations call them different things, um, but that was actually a, a specific title or category of these guys who were generally, uh, their primary role, they, they were astronomers, actually. They were astronomers slash astrologers. They studied the stars. They studied the planets. Um, they had a little bit of priest kind of sprinkled in there as well because they would also study religious documents and prophecies and things that might relate to the stars. They believed that that's how they would communicate and hear from God. And so they would study these stars and these prophecies, and they were common in the surrounding Gentile nations. They didn't really have magi in, in the Israelite nation. They didn't really believe in that stuff, but, but the surrounding Gentile nations, they had these magi, these guys who were very well studied and well respected and, you know, really smart and all these kind of things. And so um, it says here, these magi, that they came from the east. Now, they're traveling from the east. That was like a region. Would have taken them weeks or months to make this journey, okay? This would not have been like an overnight thing. And so most likely, they would not have made it in time for the birth of Jesus in the stable. They would not have been there with the shepherds, okay? Sorry to all nativities everywhere, Okay. Um, they would not have been there that night. They would have come weeks or months later, as we're going to find out even more so from their conversation a little bit later with Herod here in this section. But they travel from the east, and they get there to Jerusalem. Now, the reason they went to Jerusalem was they knew it was somewhere in Judea, and Jerusalem was the capital, right? That's where the palace was. That's where, the, the, you, that's where you would find a king. That makes the most sense. And so they go to Jerusalem looking for this newborn king. And look at verse 2. It says, saying, when they got there, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's their question. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they asked the people, they asked Herod eventually, like, where is this newborn king? Because they knew of this prophecy. They'd studied the religious documents of Israel, and they knew of the prophecy of a newborn king that was going to come when this star showed up. But their expression here shows us that they're probably Gentiles and not Jews because they call him king of the Jews, not like our king or the one that they're looking for. And Jews honestly wouldn't have called him that. Jews would have probably called him the Messiah, the Christ. They wouldn't have labeled him the king of the Jews. That's, not, that's a, an outside kind of title. And so that points here that the Magi were not Jewish. They were actually Gentiles coming in search of this Jewish king. It says they came because they saw his star when it rose, which again points back to the idea that they're astronomers or astrologers. They've been studying the stars, they've been studying the planets. They're also priests because they've studied the Israelite religious documents and prophecies and the, what we would call the Old Testament today. They've studied all of that. 
And evidently they were familiar with a very specific prophecy, which was Balaam's prophecy from Numbers 24, 17. And here's what Balaam prophesied hundreds of years before this event. He said, I see him, talking about the Christ, the Messiah, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so what's interesting about this prophecy is that Balaam himself was also a Gentile magi from the east that God brought over to Israel during a time of war to make this prophecy. And so the prophecy that he gave is now being fulfilled by magi from the east traveling to find Jesus. And this hints to the fact that probably, we don't know for sure, it doesn't tell us 100%, but probably the Magi came from the region of Babylon slash Arabia. A lot of times when we hear the East today, we think about like China, India, like, but they probably came from Babylon because that's where the Israelites had been exiled, right, for many, many years. That's where they'd been put in captivity. They would have taken all of their religious documents with them, their prophecies, so these guys would have had access to them as part of that time where they were in exile in Babylon. So they see the documents, they read this stuff, they know about the king, they see the star, and it says, we have come to worship him. Now again, that word worship there could be a little misleading for us today, because when we think about worship, we think about primarily just like religious worship. But the word here actually kind of means more like honor or pay homage to. This was a very common thing that when a new king would be crowned in a nation, surrounding nations would send like representatives, like diplomats or somebody important to go and honor the new king to keep up good relationships between the nations, right? And so they imagine were probably representatives coming to like, hey, we're going to honor this new king because we want to make sure that we stay on good terms with uh, Israel and with the Romans and so on. And so they say we've come to worship him or, or to pay honor to him. So look at Herod's response. Look at verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, the, and, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets, and then they're going to quote a prophecy here, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then it says in verse 7, Then Herod summoned the, the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we have this new character come in, right? Herod the king, also known as Herod the Great in other parts of scripture and in other historical documents. And Herod was a, was a, a, a Roman ruler put in place by Caesar over this region, over this Judea region of the Roman Empire at this time. But he originally wasn't a Jew. Herod was actually originally like an Idumean, which was another area, um, but he converted to Judaism uh, for political advantage. He knew he, was, he wanted to be king over this region, and so he wanted to have something in common with them, if you will, and converted to Judaism. But he really didn't um, consider himself the same because he viciously taxed the Jewish people and conscripted many of them into forced labor to build his giant palaces and campaigns in Jerusalem. And so he was not a friend, even though he might have been, quote-unquote, Jewish. You tracking with me, okay? 
And so he also here becomes exceedingly paranoid in his latter years of his, um, of his rule that someone's going to take his throne. So much so that historical documents tell us that he killed multiple of his own sons and wives in order to keep them from taking over his throne. So he was like really freaked out that somebody was going to come in and usurp his power. And now he hears about this new king, supposedly, that's been born, and he sees it as a threat. And so he's troubled by that, the scripture tells us. And then when the wise men, when the magi ask him, hey, where's this king? He doesn't know the answer, so he has to ask the chief priests and the scribes, which again points to the idea that he really wasn't a Jew. He didn't really know the Jewish scriptures. He didn't really follow, uh, you know, he didn't really worship God as a Jew because all the Jews would have known the prophecies of the Messiah very clearly, which would have said, he's going to be in Bethlehem. Like, this was not a hard question. And yet Herod didn't know. So he goes and he asks the scribes, who are like the main teachers of the law and of the Old Testament at that time, and they tell him, hey, listen, Micah, verse 5, chapter 2, prophecy says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So now Herod knows where he's at, but notice what he does next. He doesn't give the answer to the, to the wise men, right, to the, to the magi yet. What does he say first? He's like, hey, by the way, um, when did that star show up? <laughs> when, when, when did this all go down? And he's gathering intel. Because, you see, Herod, when he hears about Jesus, he starts plotting rather than rejoicing that God's king has finally come. It shows you where his heart's at. So he's trying to figure out, when did, it, when did he get born, and what, what was all this stuff, so he can create a plan. And then he finally tells him, okay, he's in Bethlehem, go and find him, and then come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. Right. Liar. Okay, um, he, he has no intention of worshiping anyone but himself. He intends to kill Jesus. In fact, we're gonna, if you read further on in the chapter, you see that when the wise men and the magi don't come back, he goes and he sends his soldiers to kill all of the boys, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem in an attempt to snuff out Jesus' life. Which, again, kind of gives us a good timeline there, right? Like, Something about what they told him about the star and when it appeared made him believe, okay, it's somewhere under two years old. So he probably wasn't like a day or a week or a month old. He was probably a few months, a year, maybe even up to two years old at this point when the Magi are coming through. And that's why he kills all the boys under two. But he tells the Magi, hey, he's in Bethlehem. Let's see what they do next. Look at verse 9. It says, after listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they find out he's in Bethlehem. So they went on their way. They start moving towards Bethlehem. But as they start to leave, the star that had led them to Judea now starts to move and lead them directly to Bethlehem over the house where they're going to find Jesus. Now, there's, there's a lot of debate about this star, okay? A lot of theories. Like, what was it? Was it some planets aligning? Like, if you watch the Nativity Story, uh, that's one of our movies we watch every year. Like, they talk about these planets lining up. Was it some planets aligning? Was it, was it a comet? 
Was it some supernova exploding? Like, what was this new star thing that happened? And honestly, we don't know. We really don't know for sure. But regardless of what science there is behind it, I can tell you one thing for sure. It was a supernatural event. No matter how God did it, for a star like this to appear at the exact time of Jesus' birth, that's not coincidence. And then for that star to start moving through the sky, leading them to a specific small little town, God's hand was in this. And he's using it to lead the Magi. It says, it came to rest over the child, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that line. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they finally found God's new king. The one that they had traveled all this time to find. The one that was worthy of their worship. They finally found him and they rejoiced. And says they went into the house. Notice the house, not the stable. New location. And they saw the child and they fell down and they worshipped him. Again, they paid homage to him, to the superior one, to the king. And they're marking him here not just as a Jewish king, but as a king over all the nations as these Gentile magi come and worship and pay honor to him as king, the king of all peoples. You see, the magi, they they probably didn't understand everything yet. They probably didn't know yet that he was God in the flesh. They probably didn't know that he was going to be the savior of the world. They didn't have that knowledge, but they knew that he was the king sent by God, and therefore he was worthy of their worship. And they bowed, and they gave honor to the king. They worshiped better than they knew. And says they opened their treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh, three gifts fit especially for a king. Notice we have three gifts here. It doesn't say three wise men. We don't know how many there were. There could have been two. There could have been three. There could have been 12. We don't know. Um, We know there was more than one, but that's all we got. But they brought him these gifts, these three gifts, to, to mark him as this king. And then as they get ready to leave and go home, it says they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, not to tell him where the baby was. So they went another way, obeying the God that they had come to worship. So this is the story of the Magi. It's very kind of this interesting interjection into the Christmas story. But I think there's a lot that we can learn from them. So I want to do three questions here as we finish up today. Number one, point number two, when was my heart awakened to the reality that Jesus is king? When was my heart, ask yourself this, when was my heart awakened to the reality that Jesus is king? For the Magi, They were first awakened to Jesus through the scriptures, right? They had read the prophecies. They had read what we call the Old Testament. They had read God's word. And and there, no doubt, these magi, like many of the Jewish people, had known about this prophecy, about the star, about the Messiah for many years, right? This probably wasn't new information for them. And yet, the magi were the only ones, the only ones who acted upon this prophecy. They're the only ones who travel and go and seek to find this new king who has been born as a result of the star. Herod, all the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the ones who were supposed to know the scripture better than anybody, all all of Jerusalem, they all just stayed put. None of them went. They knew about Jesus, 
but it hadn't yet changed their hearts. It hadn't yet awakened them to who he was. You see, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and your heart being awakened to the reality that Jesus is king. There are many today in our world who know about God, who they know about Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily equal faith. And this is an important thing for us because simply knowing is not enough. You have to come to a place where you worship him as king of your life. Often God, um, well, the second thing we see here with the Magi is the Magi, first they see the scriptures, but then they see this, they're awakened to Jesus through this star, right? Through this supernatural, life-changing encounter that God places in front of them, that leads them to Jesus. And oftentimes God will do that with us as well. God oftentimes will put, uh, will speak to us, will draw us to himself through some major life-changing event or encounter that awakens our hearts to the reality that Jesus is king and we need him. Not just to believe in him, but we need him, like a relationship with him, like we need to have him as part of our life on a daily basis. That's the heart being awakened to who Jesus really is. Sometimes this is painful sickness that we go through or a loved one goes through. Maybe it's the death of someone close to us. Maybe it's the consequences of our own sin finally catching up. Maybe it's some miraculous thing where God protects you and your family or provides for you in some special way. And it awakens your heart to the reality that, man, God is real and Jesus is here and I need him. So the Magi had the scripture, they had the star, and then we look at Herod. Is the other one that stuck out to me when I was looking through this. Herod, on the other hand, he's first awakened to who Jesus is by the testimony of the Magi. He doesn't, he, he's completely unaware until the Magi show up and tell him, like, hey, we've come to worship this guy. Like, where's he at? And that's some of our story, too. Like, many of us, if we're honest, we know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know that we're broken. Right? That we're broken, sinful people in need of something bigger than ourselves. Like, you don't have to live very long on this earth for that side of you to show. And when that happens, Sometimes we know the problem, but we don't yet know the solution until somebody else comes and tells us about the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come to be near us and to help us and to save us. The Magi brought that message to Herod, although Herod did not receive it so well. So there's all these ways that God reveals himself to us and awakens our heart to who Jesus is. It could be through the scriptures. It could be through some supernatural event in your life. It could be through the testimony or the worship of a, someone close to you. But the real question is, when was that moment for you? I know for my story, I was, I was born into a Christian family. I was taught the Bible at a very early age. So my heart was first awakened to Jesus through the scriptures through the gospel, through being taught those things, and then turning my life to Christ. But even after I got saved and was baptized, 
there was a season in my life where I walked away. I, got, I walked away from God, and my heart grew cold and dull, and I didn't want that anymore because I wanted to be the king. I wanted to be the king of my own life. I didn't want to submit to God. And over time, through his graciousness to me and his faithfulness, he allowed me to lose a major relationship in my life that completely broke me and reminded me of my need for him. And he drew me back. And he took that major event in my life to turn me back to Christ. So I kind of had a combination. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you have a different combination. But we all have this opportunity that God puts in front of us to be awakened to this. You see, I talk to, what concerns me as a pastor is I talk to so many people today who will say, well, you know, I, I, I've just always believed in God. I've just, I've just always had faith. I've just, I just grew up with it, and it's just, I've just always been around the church and faith in God, and, and I've, just, I've just always believed but I've, I've, never, I've never really had a moment where I, where I decided or where I personally trusted in Jesus. I've just always, I've just always believed. And here, here's, here's my concern with that. Salvation is kind of like a marriage. Okay? If I was to tell you that, hey, Courtney and I, we're married, and, and you know, I, I love her, and, and I'm committed my life to her, and you're like, oh, that's great. You know, when, when, you know, that's, when did you guys get married? When was the wedding? I'd be like, well, I, I don't. I don't know that we ever had a, had a wedding, but I, we've just always been together. We've had a relationship, and I love her, and so, like, I know, I just, I just know that we're married. We never actually had a, a ceremony or anything, but I know that we're married. You'd be like, yeah, I don't think you are. Right? Because there has to be that moment. There has to be that time where you come and you say, yes, I commit my life to you. I am with you. This is, this is my decision. The same thing is true with salvation. There can be lots of things that lead you there. It can be a long journey to get there sometimes. But there has to be a moment where you personally decide to trust and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Mom can't do it for you. Grandma can't do it for you. you can't, it's not just because you grew up in the church. It's not just because you've read some scriptures. There has to be a moment where you put your faith in Jesus Christ. When was your heart awakened to Jesus? Was it through the scriptures? Maybe you did grow up in church and you've had a long history of knowing God's word. Great, awesome. Maybe, maybe you had some supernatural life-changing event where God showed up and like revealed himself to you in a special way and you turned to Jesus at that point. Or maybe you had a friend or family member who told you and testified to the glory of who Jesus was and you turned to him then. All those are great options. All of those are fine. But the question is when? When was your moment? Or do you still need to have that moment today? Do you still need to come to that point where you have decided between your heart and the Lord to say yes to Jesus? When was your heart awakened? That's the first question. Second question this morning is this. Point number three, how, was my, how has my heart responded to the reality that Jesus is king? It's one thing to be awakened to that reality. It's another thing about how we respond to that reality. We see two responses in this story, right? Although the Magi were Gentiles and outsiders, and they were from other nations, they had their other gods that they worshipped, 
And yet, all of that, they still believed in Jesus. Enough to travel for weeks and months to get there, to see him, to honor him. They still came and sought. They humbled themselves and worshipped this king. That's one response. And on the other hand, you have Herod. Right? Herod and the Jews who were supposed to be waiting for the Messiah, who were supposed to be anticipating and longing for Emmanuel to finally come. And yet, when they found out, they scoffed at Jesus' birth. They resisted Jesus' rule in their lives. Ultimately, they tried to kill Jesus to eliminate the threat to their own power, to their own position. They didn't want a new king in their lives. They wanted to be the king of their lives. I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves how kingdoms work. You know, we live in America, we have democracy, people get a voice and a vote, and you have different people come in and out of offices, and there's checks and balances, and not, there's not just one person that can just make all the decisions, right? But that's not the way it works in a kingdom. In a kingdom, there's only one king. There's only one voice. There's only one throne. And that voice and that throne belongs to Jesus, not to us. And yet the desire the natural desire of every human heart is to sit on the throne of our own lives. We want to be the king. And Jesus is calling us. He's awakening your heart so that you can make a decision to submit to the true king in your life. Will you submit King Jesus. Is your heart resisting him this morning? Are you refusing to humble yourself before him like the Magi? Are you holding on to the throne of your own life, unwilling to give it up like Herod? Or have you submitted? bowing down in worship before him? Is your heart in that place? Last question this morning. Have I come to joyfully worship Jesus as king? Again, I, I love that phrase where it says the Magi rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they found Jesus. They were overwhelmed and they bowed down in worship, and they gave him their gifts of sacrifice. Why did they do this? They didn't even yet fully know. They didn't even understand that he was God. They didn't understand that he was the Savior. They joyfully worshipped better than they knew, because they, they knew one thing for sure. He was God's king, and he was worthy. And they were not. That's ultimately what it boils down to. He is worthy, and we are not. They saw God's exceeding grace towards mankind in that he would send 
his own, well, we know his son, but they thought his king to his people. As a baby, he came, God came to be with us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the main point, is that God came to earth. He came near to sinners like us. Those who were broken and needy while we were still stuck in our sin, while we were still in rebellion against the God of the universe, in his grace and in his love, he came near to us. He came to live a perfect and sinless life and then to sacrifice that life on the cross for our sins. He came to save us from sin and death and hell. And he stood in our place on that cross and he took the death that we deserved. And then he was buried and three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God. Proving that he had the power over sin and death and offering us forgiveness and salvation and joy in life again. If we'll turn from our sin, if we'll trust in Jesus, in Him alone, to be the true King of our lives, then we will finally get to live. And live in joy. Exceedingly great joy because we have found the one that our heart longs for. The one who is actually worthy of our worship. This isn't something we have to do. I think sometimes the gospel gets pitched as something that you have to do if you don't want to go to hell or if you don't want to, you know, get in trouble or if you don't want to, whatever. This isn't a have to thing. This is a get to thing. I get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. I get to worship the one who is actually worthy rather than all this other stuff around me that leaves me empty and broken. I get to have Jesus in my life. The greatest joy we can ever find is when we find Jesus. That's what we need. And so my question to you in the morning is just this. Have, have you found him yet? Like, not do you know about him, not have you heard the Christmas story before. We all have that. We all, we're in America. Like, you're going to hear about it. But have you found him yet? Have you believed in him? Have you submitted to him as the king of your life? That's what we're going for. And he's here right now. And he's calling to you saying, come, draw near, and let me fill your life with joy like you've never experienced before. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope of Christ. 